Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Here in the seventh inning, the Yankees are trailing 2 nothing. That is the key man. Hit high in the air to left field. Going to the corner, Yaspinski. It's over the wall. It's a home run for Bucky Dent. Yankees get the lead 3-2. Deep to left, Yastrzemski will not get it, it's a home run! A three-run home run for Bucky Denton, the Yankees now lead it by a score of three to two. Well, the last guy on the ball club, you'd expect to hit a home run, Jessett went into the screen, Bucky Denton. Hi there, everyone, I'm Bucky Dent. Welcome to this week's episode of Deep to Left with Bucky Dent. 1980, he was on the first cover of Yankees Magazine, and he's one of my dear friends and one of the funniest guys, and he's got some great stories. I'm talking about Rick Cerrone. And before we get started, I also have joining me Al Santiseri, the editor-in-chief of Yankee Magazine. Hi, Al. Hey, Bucky. And we also have got Yankees Magazine deputy editor John Schwartz. Hi, John. What's going on, guys? We are going to have some kind of fun with this guy, so... (laughs) Let's get at it and uh, get Rick on the phone and and let's get it going. So he's the first one on the 40th year? They were trying to sell magazines. Come on. Oh, my God. They didn't want some old married guy on it. They wanted a young, (laughs) vibrant, sexy Italian on there. You were a – I knew you were a stud muffin when we got you over there with all that hair. Uh, what do you, Rick? I'm curious. What do you remember about that? I, I, you, you, that we have a funny line from you in the story itself, where you said you didn't really care about it because you weren't sure there was going to be a second issue. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't know if there was going to be a second issue for me, but not for the magazine. But yeah, that's, that's a, I like that. Line. No, I think it's a great quote. I love that quote. Come on, give, give, give me a sense. How, how many magazine covers do you think you had in your career? You know, I have one in my my scrapbook. It's great. It was a piece of paper that folded four ways. And it was like you unfolded a paper. It was like a newspaper back, you know. Yeah. It, it, it wasn't quite the robust uh, publication that we uh, put out today. No, it wasn't filled with advertisers on every other page and, you know, six advertisers per page. No, it was stories about the Yankees and it wasn't about generating huge revenues. It was about getting to know the players. 
So it wasn't one of the, you know, ones like today where they're all fancy smancy. I don't even remember the Yankee magazine back then, to tell you the truth. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I remember it clearly because I was on the cover and it was cold. <laughs> I mean, and it was, it was, they really did a great job, but it was more getting to know the insides of the player a little bit. They did a lot about talking about me from Newark and my, my college background. And, and, you know, there was my mug on the, the cover. It was nice. So for our, for our younger uh, audience, a magazine is something that used to come out. It was, uh, you know, there were a lot of pages in there. It was more than 280 characters. Uh, there were all these words and pictures and things like that. It was pretty interesting. You, you should head to a newsstand soon and check one out. Yeah, you actually had to read read it. It's a huge program. It's a it's something that everybody wants and have a copy of it because it, it gives them all the players, all the, the coaching staff, all the advertisers. Back, you know, it was a lot different back then. Things were a lot different back then. But at the same time, I always do say, I think what the Yankees magazine is, I, I dare you to try to find a cheaper souvenir at a baseball stadium these days than uh, the game day program. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Coke costs more than that, yeah. it? Basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yeah, and a hat costs about five times as much as that. And But it's, it's true. And Rick, we had a good time, you know, 10 years ago, which I can't believe it's 10 years ago now celebrating the 30th anniversary of Yankees magazine, where we did a big story with you that I actually wrote and, you know, kind of got caught up on your life uh, kind of in the 30 years from the time you were on the first cover of Yankees magazine until Yankees magazine turned 30. Of course, now we're at 40. You're back in the magazine. We're on the Yankees magazine podcast network now. You know, that was so much fun going back to your roots that day, Rick, where we were in in Newark, we went to your high school. We went to some of your favorite hangouts. Kind of take us back, if you would, just to your journey from Newark, New Jersey, to the Bronx, New York. Yeah, actually, Al, the thing, the, the, you know, that was with, I was with my high school football coach, Bob Tagliari. Actually, I just spoke to him today. He turned 81. Wow. Um, I, I still very close with him. My, my sh- captain and shortstop at the time, Rico Bellini, who was our, uh, at Seton Hall University. We also talked a lot about the Newark Bears. And I mean, I've had a, um, a very interesting career outside of baseball. And I, I'm very proud of that. Um, keep going. I mean, you're talking to me again 40 years later after being on the first cover. Because I always felt, and I still feel today, that baseball is just a small part of our life. I, I was lucky to get my degree on time at Seton Hall University in 1976 even though I was in the big leagues in 75 as a junior. And they always said, well, what are you going to do with that degree? And you know what? I use it every day, whether it's my sports marketing company that I had or a real estate company or mortgage company, or now I'm involved in the sportsgrid.com, you know, the 24 hours uh, sports gambling network. It's on every, you can find it everywhere now. A couple of years ago, it was hard to find, but now we're on every single Roku, Zulu, <laughs> we're on it. And, and I just keep evolving. And you have to, because you know what? I'm 66 years old now, Buck. And, and, and you know what? We're not, we're not quitting. We're not, we still got a lot of life to live and, and a lot of fun because I always believe you have to have fun in whatever you do. My father taught me a long time ago, you know, he worked in the post office 38 years. And he, he basically said, listen, I hate going to work every day. Just don't be like me. He did not enjoy being a postman and running the station. 
It just was, it wasn't, and he only made $16,000 was the most he ever made. So the one lesson he taught was make sure you have fun every day and enjoy going to work or whatever you're doing. And I, yeah, I've been blessed. And that time, you know what? I'm still very close with those guys, Al. Ten mm-hmm. years ago, I'll be close to them until the day I die. So a lot of great memories. Well, when you came over, when you came over in uh, uh, 1980 from the Blue Jays, I mean, I, uh, I always say, and uh, Angie and my wife and I talk about it, is that you are one of the, the most fun characters. You're just bubbly. You're full of life. You're, I mean, the, the way you, you know, you go about each day, you're, it's just fun. And, and that's the way we were back then in the 80s. You know, we, we had fun. We, as a matter of fact, you were the guy that gave me my nickname Hooks. I mean, <laughs> till today, you know, I, 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 I go by Hooks, you know, and, and people say, why do you call you Hooks? I said, because of my bow legs. <laughs> if you ever stood up straight, you'd be about six foot four. <laughs> that's it, man. <laughs> but you know what, Buck? I mean, that's the truth. And, and I, I got to be honest, I was scared coming to New York, even though I was 24 years old. I mean, it's Yankee Stadium. I grew up a fan of the Yankees. Come on. I, mean, I pretended to be Joe Pepitone and Mickey Mantle in my schoolyard. And, and But I, I got to be honest, the guys accepted me. The manager, Dick Hauser, was tremendous. He treated everybody the same, whether it was Reggie or me. And I, I got to be honest, at my birthday, May 19th, I was hitting 199. And he never once hesitated and never once said, don't worry about it. I, I was playing well. We were winning. And from my birthday on, I hit something like 320 to have the best year I ever had. And, and I think it was a combination of just a bunch of good veteran guys. And uh, me and you were always close. And me and Gidry and, you know, Panella and Mercer kind of took me under their wing it was just a, a fun team to play with. And, you know, I got that from my father. Have fun. Enjoy what you're doing. I mean, they're paying us to play a baseball game. Come on. It, 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 I mean, how can you not have fun? Well, now I know why you were on the first cover of Yankees magazine. It was a birthday present because that thing came out on May 13th. Well, the funny thing, we and Buck, you'll, you'll attest to this. George Steinbrenner used to send a bottle of champagne and a cake down on everybody's birthday. Well, in May, from May 12th to May 22nd, we had seven or eight birthdays with Reggie Jackson, myself, now Tommy John. I'm just trying to think of all the different names. And, and I, think, I think the team put on about 10 pounds during that time. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. You know, they could, they, uh, uh, Sparky wasn't around, so he couldn't sit on the cakes anymore, right? No, Sparky was not there. <laughs> there was no, no badness going on. <laughs> But every day for like seven straight days, we had cake and champagne. It was great. Well, you, you wound up having a tremendous year that year, 277, 14 homers, 85 ribbies and 145 games. And you give a lot of credit to, to Charlie Lau back then, too, when uh, uh, Charlie came over to be our hitting instructor. I mean, he really helped you a lot, I think. Yeah, well, it's also I got an opportunity to play every single day, which I never really did before in my career. And I had a really good year in 79. I think I drove in 65 runs, uh, batting ninth for the Blue Jays. And we were horrible. We always lost 100 games. I played with them the first three years they were in existence. And Charlie and I and you and everybody worked. I mean, he was a hard worker. And, you know, Charlie, he just was full of confidence. And, uh, I mean, he won me over in a Kansas City series where I, I was six for 10. 
and, and I hit the ball down the right field line, the left field line. I hit everything I hit was hard. And that was the day I said, okay, I believe in this guy. And a lot of it is all in your head. You believe you're going to get a base hit, you're going to get a hit. If you go up there with a negative thought, it's, it's trouble. But Charlie was great, and we lost him way too soon. Well, well you, you had a big man hitting behind you, though, didn't you? What, didn't I, I had number you? nine, Bucky Dad, Bucky Dad, and we had a nice little competition. I remember in Chicago, Buck, yeah. we were going shot for shot, and we both wound up four for five, I think it was. And we had a nice little competition. And, and you know, these guys, they don't realize that you were the flypaper. <laughs> and I was single. You were married. So we hung out together, guys. And it was flypaper. Every good-looking girl, you go to a restaurant or a bar, they came around Bucky, and I'd say, listen, girls, he's married. I'm single, and I got a lot more stamina than he does. <laughs> guys, guys, I had to help him out. You know what I mean? Yeah, he, did. He, gave me, he gave me a couple of layups, I can tell you that. But that's that's what it was all about, you know, having fun. And, and we had some fun guys, man. I, I tell you what, we had a bunch of crazy guys. And it was just fun in the clubhouse. You know, we were winning. I mean, we had a really good team that year. And if you'd have put the right numbers down in the playoffs, we wouldn't have got swept. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. And we could have kept Bruce out of the game. Maybe we would have been okay. But, uh, you know, and not let him hit pitch against George Brett. Every time Goose pitched against Brett, he gave up the home run, a big one. But, <laughs> but you know what? It wasn't meant to be, Buck. It just wasn't yep. meant to be. You guys had beaten Kansas City three times in a row, and it was their time. And, uh, you know, uh, it happens. And you know, the one thing about the pandemic right now, and I don't know about you, but I've been able to watch because of YouTube, the playoff games of both 80 and 81 that I was in and the world series. I mean, you know, you think that you'll get back to more world series, but I never did. And mm-hmm. um, to watch those six games, I always said, Oh, we get, we should have won four straight. Well, yeah, but you know what? We made a lot of mistakes. And at the yep. end of the six games, we did not deserve to win that series. And you just can't make mistakes and give extra outs. And every break in the world went to the Dodgers. But you know what? They took advantage of it. I, I remember I remember that 81 series. And like you said, you know, I never went back either after 81, you know, when I started coaching and stuff like that. But, you know, that, that was a, a funny year, too, because, you know, we had to strike and we missed a lot of games. And then we came back and then the playoffs and I got hurt. So I, actually, I was watching from the stands in Dodger Stadium, <laughs> Mr. Steinbrenner put me down by the right field foul pole. So I had a pretty good seat, you know, sitting <laughs> down there. But that, that, that was a, a weird year. But like you said, you know, that 81 series, we, we should have won that one. Yeah, and, and I, you were real close to see Reggie get hit in the head with the fly. I did. I was I right there. The game. <laughs> <laughs> they made a big deal about Conseco, but Reggie was the first one to get hit in the head losing a fly ball. <laughs> I have a bunch of my buddies from New Jersey out. And after that game, that was a Saturday game in Dodger Stadium. We blew a 4 nothing lead and a 6-2 lead. We go to uh, Dan Tanner's, the steakhouse. And as I'm coming at, into the place, Peter Falk is walking out. And, and, okay, Peter Falk, that's Columbo. Wow, great. He was at the game. Okay, so we have a table now an hour later, and I have a view of the door. I can see the door. And in comes Columbo now. It's not Peter Falk. And he comes walking over to the table and he says, did he lose it in the sun or did he just screw it up? (laughs) (laughs) And I said, I think he just screwed it up and hit him in the head. 
shakes his head, and walks out the door. So I tell my buddies, I said, we just got Columbo eyes. He had to know that answer before he went home with his wife. He sat in the car for over an hour for one question. And it was a perfect Columbo experience and an experience for me and being in Hollywood. I mean, it was crazy. That's fantastic. Man, between trying to explain to our listeners what magazines are, now we need to explain to our listeners what Columbo is. I mean, really- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Columbo. A lot of people don't know who Columbo was. <laughs> you know, I still watch him, though. I, I think he's fantastic. You know, I get him on my cable TV, but that, that's, that's hilarious. We also had the earthquake during that World Series. Things were. That's right. That's right. I remember we were sitting in the room with uh, Padre, Father Joe, and the building started shaking. And <laughs> he, he kind of sat down and he says, just sit down, boys. We're going to be all right. And Matt, the lights started shaking and everything. But <laughs> he says, we're okay. And I, I looked at you and we go, we're okay because he's a Catholic priest, so we should be okay in this building. You <laughs> Nothing's going to happen to us. We're good. It was a wackadoo series, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's Rick, right. Among the, the 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 things that happened though in that series, I, I you know I I remember you talking about this a couple times, in particular at at one of Bucky's golf tournaments a couple years ago. But but you hit a home run in that series against the Dodgers. What does it mean all these years later? Although you guys didn't win the the series, but to have hit a home run in a World Series is that something that's still meaningful to you? Well, he, <laughs> yes, but I would have loved it for it to be the game-winning home run. Sure. Um, but to be honest with you, you know, I watched that game. That was against Fernando Valenzuela. And the, the first time up, I hit a line drive to left field that they said to hit the fence and came back in. But when you watch the game, it hit the guy right in the chest in the first row, and the ball bounced on the field. Oh, wow. So not only did I hit one, I should have hit two, but I got a double and a home run. You know, I think I'm the only guy from Seton Hall ever to hit a home run in the World Series. And um, that's pretty special. And and you know what? You know, the first pitch was a fastball in off the plate. I pulled it. And then I said uh, to Steve Yeager, Don't, this little screwball, I'll take care of this one. I hit it to left center field for a two-run homer, gave us a 4-3 lead. And um, unfortunately, we didn't hold him. And Fernando somehow found a way to beat us. And he did beat us. I mean, he stayed in the game. He got better as the game went along. And that's because we didn't have hooks playing. I mean, we needed hooks, the steady influence. He never made a mistake, played the game the right way. You know, his range wasn't the best. Hey, 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 hey. hey, hey. I tell everybody to this day, anything that he got his glove on, you're out. he (laughs) He never made, I don't think he ever made a bad throw in his life. Everything was right in the chest. And then, you know what? Those are good memories, and we, we've had a friendship for 40 years. And, and you know, Buck, i got to be honest with you. You know you left me the ticket for the playoff game. That's right. I did. Bucky leaves me the ticket. You know, we did our chore. We, we got shut out by Louis Tion the, on the last day of the season to force the playoff. Boston wins. Yankees there. Bucky leaves me a ticket because he's good friends with Herm Schneider, who I am, the assistant trainer. And I'm sitting in the stands watching the game. i got nowhere to go. And I could just imagine, what about if it was at Yankee Stadium, deep to left, would have been deep to the warning track. Oh, my God. <laughs> Not only did I leave a ticket for you, I left one for Jeremy Schapp. Oh, there you go. I forgot how old he was. His dad asked me to leave him a ticket, yeah. and I did. And uh, I don't know if he was like 15 years old or 10 years old or whatever, but he he was at that game. It was, you know, that game uh, it was some game, too, because I was right down the right field line 
And I saw the play that Pinella made. I saw Yastrzemski hit the home run around the foul pole. I'm telling you, I had a great seat. And it was just an, an unbelievable game. And, of course, I mean, I'm playing for the Blue Jays, but I was pulling for the Yankees. Let's go back. When, when you played high school, did you, did you want to play football or did you want to play baseball? Because I had to make a decision also in my senior year to play football or baseball, and I chose baseball, and obviously you did too. Well, yeah, but, Buck, I did not choose it. It chose me. And I'm gonna, okay. I'll share a little bit of that story. I had like 50, 60 football scholarships. My high school football team, Essex Catholic, we had 12 Division I football players on that team. Guys went to Notre Dame. Three guys went to Nebraska. I could have went anywhere I wanted to play football as quarterback. But I wanted to play football and baseball. I wanted to do both in college. And the only team that was going to let me do both was the University of Rhode Island. So I basically signed a letter of intent, but a funny story happened. I played American Legion baseball for some ungodly reason. I don't know why. Uh, Mike Shepard was the coach. He, he was going to be the first-year coach at Seton Hall University. After playing the Legion, which I never did, I always wanted to play summer ball, but I, I was always concentrating on football. And for some reason, I played the Legion ball. And I wound up doing very well. Shep said, listen, I'm going to be the first year coach at Seton Hall. Why don't you stay home? Give up football. You got a better career in baseball. I said, well, I don't know. But that's why I, I was so friendly with Bob Tagliere, my high school football coach. I remember it was August 1st, and I called Tagliere on the phone. I said, coach, I got some crazy news. I'm going to stay home and play baseball at Seton Hall. And he, his advice was tremendous. He said, listen. Don't worry about Rhode Island. Don't worry about that. I'll take care of that. Don't be one of those guys that regrets the decision you make. And that was the best advice I ever had. And the rest, I played eight, almost 18 years in the big league. So it was, it was the right decision at the right time. And by the way, pal, you became a Hall of Famer. Oh, college. college baseball Hall oh, of Famer. That, that really is awesome. And I, you got to be really proud of that honor. Oh, my God. Not just for myself, but for the little school like Seton Hall University. My, I played three years of baseball there. We went to the College World Series two out of three years. We were pretty darn good. Uh, we were always a little bit short in the pitching department, which the bigger schools like Texas and USC had more pitching. But we had guys that had heart. And I'll give you an example. What does it mean? Well, it's one of the, I'm one of the few players from the East Coast that have first of all been recognized. Um, they don't think anybody in the East Coast can play baseball. <laughs> I should say the Northeast. I mean, the Florida, of course, the, they get an opportunity to play all year round. But what does it mean? It means that um, I'm only the third catcher uh, to ever be selected out of all the guys. And it's not just Division One players. It's everybody that ever put on a college baseball uniform, you know, like Division Two, Division Three, junior colleges. And it means an awful lot, of course, for me personally, but to give you an example of the heart that we had at, at college, we're playing the University of Texas in the semifinals in 75. I had already been drafted and we're playing the series. They drop a 10 spot on us. We were winning one nothing in the top of the first. They dropped the 10 spot and were laughing at us 10 to one after one inning. I kind of got my guys and I said, listen, this this got to stop. We're, we're going to go after these guys. We're not going to quit. And we kept fighting. We wound up losing 12-10. Wow. And if it wasn't for the center fielder to make a bases loaded, full dive catch in the top of the uh, eighth inning, we would have went ahead. 
And Ed Blankmeyer actually hit that line drive, who was the, the winningest coach in uh, Big East history for St. John's. That was my roommate. I mean, and, and the coach, Cliff Gustafson, who was the – he's in the Hall of Fame, legendary coach, comes over to our dugout and said, guys, you've got nothing to be ashamed of. It was one of the proudest moments I ever had as a player – whether it was high school, little league, pros, World Series, just that the guys never quit. Yeah, it's a great honor, Buck. It's a great honor. It really is. Well, when is the ceremony? So what <laughs> ceremony? A couple it's tickets, called, right? It's called pandemic. <laughs> well, I, you know, as a as a native of of South Orange, I hope there's some type of celebration someday in South Orange, and, I, and I'd certainly be there for that. Tell me what it was like going to school there, you know, in the small town and, and being there and having, you know, what was college life like in South Orange, New Jersey? I mean, back then, Buck, you played, I know you, I think you played for what, Miami-Dade South or North? I played for North, Dr. Maneri. Dr. Maneri, he's in the Hall of Fame. Great coach. Great coach. And his son's a pretty good coach now, too. Yes, he is at LSU. LSU. So, no, those memories in college are tremendous. And, and lifelong friends. Um, we didn't cause too much problems there. <laughs> we did steal the bus after we lost in Omaha and, and went over to Council Bluffs, Iowa, because the bar stayed open later. As one does. We yeah. got, got away with a couple of things. Yeah. How, did, how about when you watch some of the guys who followed you? I mean, years after, obviously, a Craig Biggio, a Mo Vaughn, a Matt Morris. I mean, you can go on and on. Yeah, John, they couldn't get them to the World Series, though. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, they you were beat them there, players. right? And you know what? This helps Seton Hall right now, this little bit of notoriety. Uh, uh, it helps recruiting. It's hard for, sure. for, for an East Coast team now to get to the College World Series. I made a joke of it, but when Seton Hall had Vaughn, Biggio, and, and Valentin on the same team, they had to go to Auburn and play, and they had a, a couple of guys named Bo Jackson and Frank Thomas playing. They didn't win there. Well, look, I mean, I've mentioned this a bunch of times on this podcast. I'm, I'm a Michigan alum, and it, last year, I guess, Michigan's in the finals of the yeah. College World Series. And I'm trying to explain to people, because everyone you know, wants to look at it and it's like, oh, Michigan's athletic department, they have all the money in the world. And I'm trying to explain, like, I don't think you understand what it's like for a northern team. This is, They're not playing the same sport as the southern teams are. They can't train the way the southern teams do. They can't. Like, they don't have the facilities that the Southern teams do. It's like, yeah, okay, Michigan has a big athletic department, but it's just the most unbalanced playing field you could imagine that any time you see one of these Northern or Eastern or whatever teams doing this kind of thing, it's just like, it, it just like takes you so much aback that like, how are they even doing this? But you know what they do have, the Northeast kids? They have a toughness that the there you go. Sure. California yep. guys don't have. They, yep. they play yep. in tough conditions. They play in the snow. They play, in, we went from a bubble to play University of Miami in Miami in their Miami tournament, they were they were fourteen and zero. We did, we were coming out of a bubble. We wound up losing to them three to two in, in ten innings, uh, and then beat them another time during that 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 was my sophomore year. But uh, I was fortunate, and I always say this, Buck, that the way you get better is by playing against the best. That's exactly the only right. way you can compete. I remember making the all-star team as a little leaguer. I was nine against playing against 13-year-old kids. And I, I was yep. fortunate. When I went to Seton Hall, I got to travel the world. I went to play for the USA team in Italy. We won the gold medal. I went to the Pan Am Games. We won the gold medal. I went to Alaska to play with the best players. I was the first guy they ever invited from the East Coast. And they told me, they said, listen, uh, we, we've got a hell of a program up here. I said, I know. He says, you know, we got an All-American catcher from Stanford. I said, I know. He says, 
We're not promising anything. I said, well, am I going to compete? Or are you giving it to an All-American? He said, of course you compete. Best guy always plays. Well, needless to say, I caught like 52 straight games, and the All-American catcher went home. Wow. So you have to compete. I tell everybody now, the way you get better, you have to play against the best talent there is, whether it's in Little League, high school, college, or the pros. I used to tease Larry Bear all the time because he, he used to come down, I think he was with Monmouth. He used to come down and, and we'd play him at, at Dade North and, and he'd joke around and say, oh, yeah, we come down, we, we'd be in a bubble and it'd be <laughs> playing in the snow. We'd come down and play you guys after you've already played 30 games, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and, and, oh, my God, it was, it was sad sometimes. But you know what? There were so many great things about college life and the teammates I had. There wasn't the jealousies of how much money you made. And, uh, you know, nowadays things are so much different. I, I don't know what your thoughts are on Buck about all these different changes. You know, we talk, we've talked about it before, you know, is that I, I think this year what they're doing because of the short, you know, season, only playing 60 games, but I can't see, I mean, seven inning games, you know, for double headers and, <laughs> and stuff like that. I, I just don't, I just don't, I don't, I don't like it. They're going to wind up, there's some teams are going to be wind up playing 15 double headers. I think the Yankees got about three or four this week. They can't catch a break. I know. Rick, I wanted to just look back for a second. You, you know, one of the, the more kind of interesting parts of the story I wrote 10 years ago was you actually – um, owning a team, you know, in your hometown, owning the Newark Bears. Uh, that was the first time I ever met you was when I was a college intern with the New Jersey Cardinals, and I think you guys were playing up there for a bit. And I was always fascinated by, you know, what it was like to own a minor league team. And, I, you know, can you go back and kind of talk about how that experience came about and, and what that experience was like? Yeah, I do. I love minor league baseball. I was very fortunate. I retired in 92 and I was able to buy 10% of a new team coming to Wilmington, Delaware. It was the Blue Rocks, Kansas City affiliate in a brand new stadium. And uh, believe it or not, it cost a hundred grand for 10%. Wow. Uh, that franchise today is worth about 28 million. Hmm. But I got to see, and I was a good owner. I was broadcasting at the time. So I didn't spend that much time, but it was the best investment I ever made. I think we got back 67 percent on our dollar from the first year and every year so it was tremendous and I saw the economic development it did for Wilmington because Wilmington's a bank town and at four o'clock five o'clock at night it's a ghost town all of a sudden we put the minor league team down right off of 95 and we drew 325,000 fans in 1993 and and it brought people to a destination at night and all of a sudden they developed a waterfront behind it and it became a destination, and people love it. And the, the Blue Rocks are still one of the most successful franchises in the minor leagues. So they approached me in Newark, my hometown, to try to do something there. And the difference was being a 10% owner and a 100% owner driving the bus, basically. Mm -hmm. And it uh, didn't go smoothly. We were originally going to build it in the Ironbound, and it was too small of a site with no parking. And then we wound up finding a piece of property on 21. I lived basically 18 hours a day in a trailer on the site and oversaw everything, every brick, every piece of dirt that was moved. So there's difference between owning 10% and owning 100% because every dollar in and out was my dollar. You know, what was great was hiring the Seton Hall kids 
I had a tremendous relationship with Dr. Ann Mayo, who ran their business department. And I'd call her and I said, uh, hey, doc, I need five kids. I need a, an accountant. I need this one. The next day, she had people lined up for the job. That's great. So it was nice to be able to take people, uh, people from Seton Hall and put them there. Uh, we had a great uh, radio station, WSOU, Seton Hall station, that went everywhere. Unfortunately, I put so much time into that effort. It, it cost me. I had my, you know, I started having heart problems and, and I had issues. And in 2002, I had two stents put in. I realized being an investor is better than being the full-time owner. <laughs> I mean, and the other thing, Al, the other thing, I didn't want to deal with the players. The players were spoiled. I mean, we the most we could have played, paid, uh, uh, Jose Canseco played for me, Jimmy Leiritz. I had all the named players. But I could only pay them 5000 a month. That was the cap. And I lived by the cap. We had a cap there, okay? I became the, the, the tight owner. But we made money every single year. And once I had my heart issues, I sold them after five years. I stayed on for a year as the president to oversee some things. But I saw it changing. And unfortunately, all the business people that took it over after I sold realized Nork was a tough sell. And it's also an independent team. So they folded. I was going to ask you about being in, in, you know, getting players in independent. Oh, Buck, it was hard. It was hard. It was very hard. And we became like the insurance league. Because, you know, you still, the insurance became more than, I was paying more in insurance premiums than I did for player salary. Unfortunately, they bulldozed the site this year. Because it it, after I sold it, it went bankrupt three years. And, and they wanted me to go see them knocking it down. And I said, you don't understand. No. My heart is there. God, you ain't kidding. And, Man. You know, the Wilmington Blue Rocks, thank God, they're our firing. They're still going great. Uh, they still draw close to 300000 a year. Um, I've been very, very fortunate that way. But I also realize it's better to be an investor sometimes than a, the full-time owner. So that's a question I actually have for you because one thing that's always fascinated me about one of our old buddies, Derek Jeter, is I think I'm a little surprised that it's gone as well as it has for him in Miami because to me – it just seemed like the last thing in the world a guy like Derek Jeter would want would be to be the guy who has to be the the face of all these decisions, but without the you know the, the big investment. Well, John, let me let me explain one thing to you, and, and this just goes for every sport franchise out there. I'm going to say one thing: no franchise, whether the sport, has ever sold. For less than the previous sale price. Oh, you don't have to tell me this. I know. <laughs> the question I'm asking though is, can you like Derek Jeter? I, I mean, Derek I, I, Jeter I, I, is I, I, a smart. He's a smart guy. He okay. Make he put up I think ten million dollars for a one point two billion dollar investment, whatever it was. He's gonna he's gonna take that ten million dollars and he'll get a, probably a check for about a hundred million. Oh, look, financially, I have no doubt you're right. My question is, I would never have guessed that a guy like Derek Jeter would want to move from his Hall of Fame career to then answering to somebody with a bigger investment than he made in it. Yeah, that might be a little tough. That might be tough. I think that would be hard for a person like me. (laughs) But Derek has always had the, the, the perfect way to handle people. He doesn't give you a whole lot. And he, he, he played every day, played hard every day, showed up to work every day, and, and came through at the right time. 
And he kept his mouth shut and went about his business for 20 years in mm-hmm. New York, which is very hard to do. So I don't, whatever Derek decides, I, I, I've got a lot of confidence in him that he's going to be successful at everything he does. And it's probably because he wanted to stay in the game. Mm-hmm. You know, people, we, we retire, we're only 35, 35, 40 years old. You got the whole life ahead of you. But when you re, but when you retired, but like you're talking about, you know, Jeter retiring and, and being an owner, when you retired, you know, you went into broadcasting. Did you ever want to coach or manage or did you ever want to, you ever thought about that? Well, I saw what they did to you, Hooks. They fired yeah, you early. I yeah, I, I got but, a funny story to tell you, and not a lot of people know this, but Bob Watson and I were very close. And I'm, I've established myself as a broadcaster in, in 93, 94, 95. Bob Watson's the general manager, and he comes to me. He said, Rick, I want to have a, a little lunch with you. Okay. He said, I want you to go to Columbus for one month. And I, he says, I really think that you might. You're, you're perfect to be our manager. And I said, Bull, why would I want it, those aggravations? And I brought you up, Buck. Uh-huh. I said, my buddy, I mean, look what they did to Bucky. I mean, they fired him. Every manager gets fired no matter how good you are. Mm-hmm. I said, Paul, I appreciate the offer. I appreciate the respect you have. And, and he said, you know, I listen to the games, Rick. You have a lot to offer. You could, I said, yeah, but I'm establishing myself here. I go home, the game's over. It doesn't bother me. I mean, I love the Yankees to win, but I told him, and Steinbrenner used to yell at me a couple of times. Well, why are you talking so nice about the Seattle Manor, Mariners? They're hitters. I said, George, they've got better hitters than us. That's why I got, I got Ken Griffey Jr. I've got Edgar Martinez and I got Jay Muter. Who do you got? They started laughing. That's why I got fired, Rick. Uh, I gotta tell this. I gotta. I gotta. I gotta tell the story the night that I put you at second base. You remember that? Oh, yeah, Boston. I said no. Not only did you put no. me at second base, you had me batting third for the New York Yankees at Fenway Park. I was hitting over 300, but I, I think I even told you, I said, Hooks, this is bad news. You're going to get fired for this. <laughs> and I did that night. No, <laughs> no, but, but the game I put you in second base, we're playing the Kansas City Royals, and uh, we were losing three. Back then, you know, we only had 24 guys, and uh, somebody was hurt. Uh, Sachs was hurt or something. And uh, so we got to the uh, ninth inning, and, and Mattingly hit a – Two out, two run homer off the foul pole. And I had put Garen in to catch. I pinch hit for Tollison. We had no more infielders. So I go to Rick. I said, Yeah, you gotta go, you gotta get ready. You gotta go play second base. And his eyes got as big as saucers. So I was ready? I, yeah, I put him in the tenth inning at second base and it started to drizzle. And Rigetti's on the mound, and I think he walked walked the first guy. And so I go to the mound and I say, Rick play closer to second base and just get one out. You know, whatever you do, just get one out if you can't turn it over play. So I get back in the dugout, Rigetti, the guy hits a ground ball to third base to Blouser. And Blouser like took forever to, he looked at third, he was gonna step on third, he looked at, so he finally throws it to Rick to second base. And uh, so uh, Seitzer winds up getting a base hit and we got, we got beat that night. I come in after the game and the red phone is vibrating on my desk and I'm mad. I pick it up and it's George, the boss. And he goes, 
who's your infield coach, dadgummit? Why didn't he tell Blouser to step on third base? And I said, what do you want me to do? Hold up cue cards for him? <laughs> <laughs> and I slammed the phone down. But I'll never forget that when I put you in second base. But <laughs> To go back to a point you made before, it really reminds me of how I felt a couple of years ago when Aaron Boone – Forget about the fact that the Yankees decided to hire Aaron Boone, but I couldn't believe Aaron Boone would want to manage. I mean, the, the way or want, want to manage the Yankees, I should say. The way I always looked at it, it's like you have this short but perfect Yankees career. You're a young guy. You're probably not going to retire. You're probably going to get fired eventually. You know, I, I I just I can't imagine wanting to change the perfect career I had with the team. Well, I I, I think I. Th- yeah, I think that some guys, it just has them in their blood. They need the uniform on. I wasn't like that. I, I took the uniform off. I knew I had business to accomplish, things to do. Um, I, the thing I really missed, and I, I maybe Aaron Boone missed it. Who knows? I, I always missed the plane rides and the bus rides. We had so much fun, and Bucky will swear to it. Oscar Gamble, you have to hide from Oscar. He would get on the clothes you wore. He'd get on the – it was like uh, – I always said it would be the best talk show, reality show, if you ever put the, the microphone inside of buses and the planes. And, and nowadays, the guys are more buttoned up. But back then, oh, my God, it was a lot of fun getting on those buses. And, and guys would deliberately go on to the back bus. In other words, they didn't yep. want to take the heat. <laughs> yep. yep, they go to back bus. But some guys want the uniform on. I, I, you know what? I enjoyed broadcasting. Uh, the best review I ever got, it said it's like you, you pulled up to a bar sitting next to Rick and you were talking baseball. I mean, that to me is what it's supposed to be about. Well, that's what it's about, you know, and, and uh, I was talking, we had Willie on uh, our, our last one, and we were talking about the bus rides, you know, with, with Oscar and Mickey Rivers, and, you know, I mean, it was just fun. And if you screwed up in the game, you did not want to get on the bus, I mean, because somehow, some way they were going to, you know, and you had to have thick skin back then. I mean, you know, uh, they would they would literally get on you in, in a in a funny way, but you had to have thick skin. You had to have thick skin, and, and lots of times it led to some some fisticuffs. I got into a couple in Boston. Those guys weren't used to the abuse that I could give people. So me and me and Daryl uh, Evans got into a fisticuff over Wade Boggs a couple times. But you know what? We had fun. They're my teammates. I love everybody. Go out and win. That's what I always want. Just win, find a way to win the game. Right. Well, before we let you go, I want you to tell us, I know you're a proud grandfather. Tell us about that little baby of yours, man. Well, my my grandson, my first grandson, Jessica, my old, I got three daughters, Jessica, Carly, and Nikki. Uh, they're all very, Jessica works for Google. Carly's a Cliffside Park uh, high school girls basketball coach. She's been in her fifth year there. She's also a fifth grade teacher in Cliffside Park. Nikki, my youngest, works for UBS uh, in the city. Very proud father of three girls, all raised in Bergen County. And Jessica had a baby the day the world ended, March 12th. <laughs> I mean, basically, as we know, the world ended. I mean, we can't fly. You can't go to hospitals. You can't see the baby. It's been five and a half months. I Thank God, Buck, I found, like, now we're having this Zoom meeting. But I found FaceTime for the first time. And every day, three times a day, I'm on the phone with Cooper. My boy's name's Coop. 
Think about if he becomes a ball player. Cool. There you go. There you go. CC. There he is. CC. Well, C. Smith. Her husband's a great guy, Brian Smith. So uh, I told Jess, don't give up the Sarone name. You know, keep the yeah. going. But I have fun talking to him. He definitely knows my voice. But my daughter lived in two of my daughters lived in the city. They both moved out. Uh, one lives in Hoboken now. One's closing on a property in in Closter. It's going to live in Bergen County. Don't want my my Jessica. And uh, I've been in the same outdoor area with Cooper and Jess and the family, but have not been able to pick him up and touch him yet. Uh, everybody said, "Oh, there's nothing like bringing kids." And I said, eh. You know, all kids are a little pretty ugly when they're first born. I said, what, you know, I said you when you're like 18. <laughs> but my little guy, he, his face lights up when he hears Poppy on the phone. So it's been nice. You got to catch up to me with three daughters. I got nine. I got, I got eight daughters? daughters and a girl. Uh, yeah, no, I got nine eight daughters and a girl. Oh, my God. Nine, yeah. Yo, what, <laughs> yeah. You, you don't sleep much. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> It gets real expensive at birthday oh, yeah, birthday yeah, time, yeah. you know. But, I know, I know. I, hey, I miss you guys. I, I, I miss, miss you the too, stories. Uh, but you know what? They can never take it away from us. We were one of the select few to do something that we did as a kid, and thank God for it. Yes, and we played in a in a great era when uh, baseball was was crazy and fun, and uh, you played hard, and uh, that's that's what it was all about. But uh, Listen, pal, thanks for coming on. Uh, it was great to, to talk to you and hear the stories. You know, I, like I said, you've always been one of my best friends and, and the, the, the stories that, that you tell and stuff like that, I mean, they're, they're amazing. And uh, uh, it, was, it was great to have you on, brother. Well, thank you, guys. Thank you, Al. Thank you, John. You did a nice job. Thank you, guys. Have fun. Bye-bye. All right, man. Thanks, Rick. What a great guy, man. And, and he's always been one of the characters in baseball. As, I as got that impression. Him, yeah, as you can hear him tell the stories and stuff like that. And he was fun to play with, and he's always fun to be around. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really proud of him that he got into college baseball Hall of Fame. I mean, what a tremendous honor for him. But he was always one of the the great guys to play with. I got to say, Bucky, you know, you're being awfully kind to him right now, but when we were having some uh, difficulties getting you hooked on to start this up, you know, he, he, uh, he was kind of giving it to you behind your back a little bit there. I don't, I don't know if uh, there's something, <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there was some talk about the thing, the things that you can get away with because you hit a big home run once. Oh yeah. He always, he always busts my chops, you know, ever, ever since I, I first met him in, uh, in the Yankee camp in 1980, when he when he joined our, our team, I mean he's he's always busted me. He started calling me hooks from right off, and it stayed with me. And uh, he's just a fun character, and and uh, I just love him to death. That's my favorite part. I've been wondering where that nickname came from. I'm glad, I'm glad I finally know. I thought it was. Oh a yeah, my bow legs. Buck. <laughs> no, 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 no. He used to tease me because you know I used to when I played short, I kind of scuffed dirt off my uh shoe with my front toe and he used to imitate me all the time you know and he goes he goes look at them bow legs you, you know it, you're you're hooks you know you look like hooks and, and he says that's what i'm gonna start calling you now hooks and ever since that day that's been my nickname with him every time he sees me hey hooks how you doing brother that's great, that's great. <laughs> yeah. well guys can you Love believe him. it though it, it, it's september 
I mean, it, it, I I, I, it's just I can't even fathom the fact that we're sitting here one month left in the season. It's September. The weather's going to start changing again soon. Maybe not for you, Bucky, down in Florida, but you, rest assured for us, the weather's going to start changing pretty soon. So we, we made it this far. I'm excited to see where the rest of this uh, this year goes. Well, I'm looking forward to it, too. And, uh, you know, I mean, we've had some great guys on telling stories, and I'm looking forward to talking to some more guys. Absolutely. Great. Well, Bucky, Bucky, Al, thank you so much, and I'll speak to you guys soon. Talk to you soon. Sounds good. To all of you, thank you for listening to another episode of Deep to Left with Bucky Dent. Before you go, I want to tell you more about the Yankees Magazine Podcast Network. If you liked hearing from Bucky and Rick today, you should also check out the Yankees Magazine Podcast, where we break down some of our written stories from each new magazine issue and, of course, talk Yankees baseball. On the last episode, we discussed the 40th anniversary of the magazine, the first ever copy of which featured, you guessed it, Rick Cerrone on the cover. So make sure to check that out. If you're not subscribed, what are you waiting for? We're available wherever you listen to podcasts or at yankees.com slash podcast. Leave us a review. Leave us a rating. You can even send us your thoughts over email, podcast at yankees.com. And for Yankees Magazine subscribers, we're back in production. You should be receiving your September issue very soon, right in the heels of your August issue. It's been pretty exciting getting to write Yankees baseball again. If you're not a subscriber yet, what are you waiting for? Call 800-GO-YANKS or go to yankees.com slash publications to start a to start a subscription now or you can even buy one as a gift the holidays are coming up and i can't think of anything better than giving the gift of yankees baseball plus if you'd like to see our content online get a taste of it at yankees.com magazine there you'll find our latest features to read from the magazine and we're also on twitter at yanks magazine give us a follow and be up to date with every podcast and magazine we produce that's it see you next time and go yanks hi this is adam adovino for more stories like these, subscribe to Yankees Magazine by visiting yankees.com slash publications or by calling 800-GO-YANKS.